The TARDIS cloister bell. Imminent disaster. The cloister bell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Hello and welcome to the Cloister Bell podcast. I'm Liam and I'm joined by Rob. How's it going, Rob? Hi, Liam. Uh, good, thanks. Good, good. How's it going? What was that? What's occurring? How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, how about you? Been up to much? Sitting in the sun, relaxing. Not much. <laughs> nice, that sounds perfect. Yeah, the, weather for, uh, the weather's been fantastic recently. Um, be doing the same. Was down London for a couple of days. Um, oh yeah. So I went down uh, for the Peter Gabriel concert. That was at the O2 Arena, formerly the Millennium Dome. And um, yeah, when I was down there, enjoyed the weather. Weather was fantastic. Walked around. Went to the Tate Modern. Most of it was a big pile of crap. Uh, so you know, it was there. Um, There's an art book shop behind it bought a couple of books uh from there one was uh the uh what was it uh the the photograph the photographic journal of 1985 it just has cool photos in there from 1985 so i bought that and um nice one was a book of uh the films on of dustin hoffman oh yeah uh so that was published in the 80s so that take that's his entire film career up to including tootsie because uh, I like just no Moore. hook and no so no hook I keep on forgetting that uh, he, he plays hook and hook um, that was probably the first film I ever saw him in yeah uh, and then uh, yeah and then went to the Peter Gabriel concert which was fantastic um, second time I've seen him live um, better than the first time brilliant band really really enjoyed it great songs it's a mixture because he's going to be releasing a a new album later this year um so he was performing it was pretty much you know, mostly new stuff but some some of the old classics in there people still right. enjoy getting on their feet listening oh. to sledgehammer was a good good atmosphere oh fantastic atmosphere what what kind of people were there it was a really good Crazy mixture people, actually or? um young and old so the, there was one guy sitting next to me he's be, he's been a you know he was aware of peter gabriel back in the days of genesis in fact, to the point where, because he was with a mate of his, and we were having, we were just having a conversation. Uh, and this guy sitting immediately to my right, he he was one of those people who just is just like as soon as Peter Gabriel left Genesis, didn't want to know. Even to the point where a trick of the tail, uh, which is the first album they did after Peter Gabriel left, he's just like, no, don't want to know. And be like, I think it's time for you to move on. And it's just like, no, Genesis, it's all about Peter Gabriel. As soon as he's left, don't want to know. It's just like. So me and my mate were kind of taking the mick out of him, but he, um, but he was saying like when it was announced when Peter Gabriel was leaving Genesis in '75, it was like big news, and it was, he spent him and his mates at the time spending the whole night going, "What's going to happen to the band?" Um, he did see the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway live at the t- at the time, um, so that was pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, it was a real mixture. So you had you know you had so people like that who were you know. Um, n- known of uh peter gabriel from the early 70s um people around about my age you even had some people who were younger like some people were taking their kids but they were like uh, they were university students there was some wanker wearing a stetson hat 
Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, Did you go out for anything to eat? Not mass. I mean, my, my appetite tends to uh, go down in the uh, summer. Um, so I just grabbed a sandwich at some point. I did pop into some um, some cafe and had a burger and chips, which was quite nice uh, when I was there. But yeah, nothing nothing fancy, nothing to really write home about. Was it like a, a supermarket sandwich? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a yeah, yeah. It was a, yeah oh. from from M and S. That was actually when I was coming back from from the concert. Uh, got on the tube back to the hotel. Uh, I was really hungry at that point, and the um the room service that the hotel was like ridiculously expensive like if i wanted a margarita i mean the thing is i was like i was really in the mood from for a margarita pizza and i could have ordered one from room service but that would have been 20 pound for the pizza and an extra five pounds to deliver it to your room be like i'm not spending 25 pounds on a pizza and i just passed an mns um on the way there. Yeah. That's so weird. You went you went to Marxies for a budget lunch. <laughs> no, normally people don't no, say no. that. <laughs> Upper class problems. Yeah. yeah, people listen to this podcast and go, God, it's this middle class wanker. Um, yeah, it was just, no, because it, uh, it was really late. It was the place open. It was just a sandwich. I mean, it was about two quid, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's not bad. So, uh, what's been happening have you been watching, reading anything? Uh, I've been reading um, all the Ian Fleming Bond novels, which I've just finished. Um, so for the last month or so, I've been, been going through those, and I've just finished reading The Man with the Golden Gun. Uh, I've enjoyed reading those. I mean, obviously, some of the novels are better than others, but I've really, really enjoyed reading those. They're really engaging, and I think Ian Fleming deserves a like a better reputation as a writer than just creating the character of James Bond. Some of the novels are really really well written um and i've just started reading uh well rereading uh the sherlock holmes books nice yeah yeah so um started that yesterday so i've uh finished the sign no uh study in scarlet and i started today sign of fall and it's been quite a while since i've read them so it's i remembered quite a lot of um study in scarlet actually um, but yes, yeah, a sign of four. It's been quite a while since I've read that. It's it's like reading it again afresh. It's uh, but it's quite it's quite nice. Uh, in terms of watching stuff, um, oh yeah, <laughs> been watching some like old comedy. Oh, so been watching One Foot in the Grave, uh, Gimme Gimme Gimme, um, Golden Girls. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, but nothing ha- contemporary. Yeah. How about Hasn't you? Blackadder just had an anniversary? I think it has, actually, sure. yes. Yeah, Somebody yeah. told me there was a documentary about that. Oh, and also the unaired pilot has been released, apparently. Ah, okay. Someone told me this. Uh, I haven't actually fact-checked it. Well, it's really funny with the unaired pilot because it was available on YouTube. Oh, okay. Um, so, so I watched it uh, a while back, and it's really funny because it's... Uh, it's one of the. It's basically the the very first episode of Blackadder. So it's the full the full telling. Um, but it's all studio based, and it's interesting because when you watch it, it feels like Blackadder two. So the way that the uh, the way that Blackadder's written and performed, you would recognize it from the later series. 
you know, he he's the intelligent one surrounded by the idiots. But okay. when they filmed the first series, obviously a decision was made and they, they altered his character. So Blackadder in the first series is really the idiot and Baldrick's the intelligent one. And the later series, they swap that round. Um, so it's sort of interesting looking at the pilot when you when you watch that and go, oh, um, what you would later do in the second series you thought were doing originally, but then you decided to change your mind. I came across a clip of um, Ron Atkinson being interviewed on Wogan, uh, which was to advertise the um, second series. And what they were saying about that was that if if it's going to be successful then they would go on to do following series and what they were thinking of doing was the first world war for the third series yeah yeah well it was sort of interesting that the the desire to do what would later be the fourth series was there you know quite early on actually but so for anyone listening to this who who aren't aware what we're talking about blackadder was a a sitcom uh, with the first series in 1983, and Ron Atkinson played this character of Blackadder, and each series was set in different historical periods. So the first series was in the um, medieval period, um, 1485, that type, uh, you know, during and after the Battle of Bosworth Field, and then the second series was in the Elizabethan era. Third was in the Regency period, and then the fourth series was in the trenches of the First World War. Um, immensely popular and, and still beloved. And yeah, I think it would have been, yeah, it was the, the 40th anniversary of the first series. So there has been a, quite a bit of... I heard that they were going to re-release the series on a, on a brand new box set, but I haven't, I haven't come across that. Have you? Uh, no, I haven't. I know maybe 10 years ago or so, they released a a remastered collection, mm-hmm. and and people complained that um, the remastering actually made the quality worse. Yeah, I bought that, and um, I mean it wasn't too bad, but I mean there were a few things botched up on the um, on that set. Not least of all, the order of the episodes of the first series. Um, oh, really? They got some of the yeah, they got some of the order wrong. It was a bit weird. Um, so yeah, it was one of those things where. It, it could have been a bit better. Um, earlier this year, I did come across some announcement that for the 40th anniversary, there was going to be a brand new box set come out, but um, I'm not aware of anything of that. So um, Maybe not then. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Yeah. But it would be nice. But yeah. Um, yesterday, I watched Marvel's Secret Invasion, which is a weekly TV show about Nick Fury from the Marvel films. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And it's about the Skrull invasion of Earth, and the Skrull are these shape-shifting aliens who are infiltrating um, human society. Um, the first episode was all right. I'm curious to see where it goes, but um, I'm not that interested in the plot, but oh, right, I'm okay. sure it'll pick up. Right. There's been a bit of a backlash because the the opening titles, um, they were a little bit, um, I don't know how to describe it, weird and arty, and then I came across an article today that explained that, um, an AI had made the opening titles, 
and I was like, oh, it makes so much sense now why it looks like that. All right. <laughs> but um, there's been a bit of a backlash from artists, um, especially people who have actually worked on the show. They're unhappy that AI was used um, because they, they think it's kind of fundamentally wrong to do this when um, there's genuine creators and artists and writers out there um, who are getting replaced. Um, I don't know if the if the creators of the show are trying to make a, a, a statement um, for the story because the story is about um, people being imitated and replaced. Um, so I don't know if that was intentional or not. Yeah, uh, that yeah. is interesting. It's um, there's a couple of things with AI that I've I've been aware of. It's um, I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about this and. Um, what they're finding about this is that there's been uh, some instances where um, AI has has developed in a way which um, has surprised people. So the idea is that AI can only work with how you input and tell it what to do. But that hasn't been happening. So uh, there was the story where um, uh, a piece of translation, translational software was created with AI built into it. And the AI was told that whichever uh, language is inputted, you will translate it into English. That's what it was all told to do. Um, but what happened was it ended up doing some really interesting stuff in the background and it's been translating stuff into Persian. So it's been doing its main purpose of translating stuff into English, but it's also been uh, translating stuff in the background into Persian. And what's been interesting about this is that, one, the a so the AI has developed in a way which the developers had had no idea that it was going to do that and hadn't built into it and hadn't told it what to do. But it's been doing this in the background and it took them a few months for them to realise that that's what it's been doing. And then they were saying that there was also this, this other piece of software where they were um, trying to uh, match it with um, how... Uh, how how humans develop so i've forgotten the time frame now unfortunately but it was sort of like it took it about maybe say for example it took a year for it for the ai to develop um like we would from the age of uh one to six and then it took a couple of months following that to how it would be say from the age of seven to nine and then a couple of weeks after uh, from 9 to 12. So th that development was having an awful lot. Mm -hmm. But what they don't understand is how the AI has actually developed. And a lot of a lot of its development was taking place in the background. Um, so it's kind of interesting. But the person who was talking about this was actually coming from a positive perspective and going, you know, when we're talking about uh, AI, um, you know, a lot of the conversation tends to be uh, dystopic that's all negative and there's a lot of dodgy stuff and yeah i think that and yeah i think there is a lot of stuff to do with ai yeah there's need... obviously a lot of, lot of concern yeah i, 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 I do of. see that a lot of, they're not actually given definitive answers of, of what could be the worst case scenario mm -hmm. are you kind of getting that same feeling? i am but when i was listening to this the guy was being very positive and saying but actually if you look at it really what it's doing is it's just mirroring humans in a way it's not cold and calculating yeah, um, opposed to the fear-mongering, which seems to imitate Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But I mean, the, the fact that AI seems to be going off on its own tangent and you go, well, m- maybe maybe it could think that it could do without it. I don't know. But, you know, it's it's interesting. We're now coming to a point of, I mean, it's still very early stages and there's a lot going on, but there is, there is certain things which are positive and one could be negative. I mean, going back to the Peter Gabriel concert, because um, a lot of his, not all the songs that he's done for what will be his new album, but a lot, a lot of it is brought on about, you know, uh, there's the track that he's done called Panopticon um, about AI and what's happening on the internet and how you can use that uh, as, a, as a means of surveillance from a positive perspective so you can report on um, human rights abuses. But obviously surveillance can have a negative impact. So it's kind of interesting with what with what Peter Gable has been talking about in relation to this where and providing a contrast of you know, there are positives with this, there are negatives with it. Mm. And a big news is to do with the Beatles, which has come out, which is yeah. there's going to be a new Beatles single coming out, which has used AI. I think it's still very early days. We're not even sure what the new song is going, what this new song is going to be. But uh, any Beatles fans will know that um, in the 90s, when they were doing their Beatles anthology uh, series, uh, they released two singles. One was um, Free as a Bird and one was Real Love, uh, which what they did was they got John Lennon uh, demos and then the other three remaining Beatles uh, worked on them. And that was a new uh, Beatles song. Apparently, for uh, there was a, there was going to be a third single, but it was meant to be really difficult to uh, get John Lennon's single uh, v- vocal from the um, from the demo. But it so does th- exist. But it does exist. They were able to do some work on it, so, but they felt like it wasn't good enough to release. So there's some speculation that what they've able to do is with AI technology, is bring out John Lennon's actual vocal from his demo and separate it from tape hiss and piano or whatever may have been on it, and then uh, and, and then bring in the rest of what George Harrison would have done at the time on guitar and all the rest of it. Yeah. So, But we don't I mean, know. But That seems simple enough um, compared to what's happening out there. Mm. So, um, yeah, it seems doable. But, yeah, I mean, Paul McCartney was was doing an interview about, uh, about this, obviously promoting this, so we just have to wait and see what the single was. But... It was interesting with what his what he was saying, which was there are elements of AI which can be really beneficial for music and musicians. And in relation to this, he mentioned recent Beatles uh, projects. So uh, with the Get Back film, what they were able to do to tell to um, for the soundtrack and improve the sound was separate out all the different ingredients so you actually tell the ai like this is what a vocal is this is what a guitar is this is what the drums are and then the ai is able to uh pick out those things and completely separate them and then so when it came to remastering for the 50th anniversary of revolver i think they use that they use that technology to make the you know separate these things out and clean and rebalance the sound and everything so paul mccartney was saying you know that can have a massive benefit but obviously there's another aspect of ai which we have to be, you know, we have to be a bit, you know, careful of. Mm-hmm. Is it really creative? And so, yeah, yeah maybe the need, maybe there needs to be this threshold of, of when do we have the right to 
imitate someone who's died. L- like when you when you've got um, free use of stuff that um, like historical stuff. Hmm. Um, that I guess that should apply to um, using people's likeness and voices as well. Yeah, I mean, I remember the the first time that I... Well, I've only seen it once. When I went to the cinema to see Rogue One, the Star Wars movie, there was that brief moment of going, bloody hell, they've got Peter Cushing in the film. Which was a surprise. And then, my, But my immediate reaction was, I don't think I like that. Um, he certainly wouldn't like it. He didn't even like Star Wars. <laughs> no, it gives a bloody good performance in it, though. Uh, in the in New Hope is what yeah. I'm talking about, but yeah, there was just something about I I don't like the idea of you know plucking someone from the past and just using their likeness and voice in a way that you know they're not around. You don't, yeah. I mean, are we going to have to? Oh, are we going to have to be you know be in a stage now where going forward we have to write in our last will and testament that under no circumstances is. Um, our voices, likenesses, like um, our likeness, or 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 anything that we put out in social media to be used as a means of recreating us digitally after we've passed away. It's a tricky one. Maybe we'll maybe there'll just be like an opt out thing. <laughs> yeah, but that's another thing that I'm not keen on. I think that if you, you know, like th- like organ donors. Is that that's not a mandatory thing yet, is it? But there's been has no, been no, talk it is. Of, oh, it is now, but you have to opt out. Is that right? You have to opt out. Which okay. I can understand. Sort of the tricky thing because at the end of the end of the day, you know, uh, it's you know, it's something to save lives. But I don't like that idea that you know th- th- automatically um, someone has a say over your body and your organs and so on. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that you should opt into. Not opt out of, but but that's just a personal thing, and maybe a Doctor Who podcast isn't the way to talk. <laughs> you know, isn't the yeah? Isn't the area to talk about it? But yeah. Oh well, moving on to happier things. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what have I been watching? Oh, I've watched Avatar: The Way of Water. Have you seen that? Nope. Any um, good? Hmm, that's an interesting question. So, <laughs> it's a three-hour, fifteen-minute film. That's ridiculous. So, so okay. yes, and it's um, it's been like what ten years since the first one. Mm. So, uh, the story begins. It has a a general kind of introduction that's set over a few years, introducing the what the family's been up to and stuff. Um, I'll not go into spoilers, I guess, but um, some elements of it is a rehash of the first film. And right. some aspects of that um, takes it. It maybe it takes the science fiction element and pushes it too far into, into fantasy, um, and it's a bit hard to believe. But um, yeah, you kind of think roll your eyes and like, oh come on. Um, visually, the film's absolutely beautiful, um, and. All the underwater scenes, um, you know, it looks so good. The the stuff it does to you as a viewer, it's like it's like watching these characters go through horrible stuff, watching the same thing happen to the the creatures that live on this planet. Um, yeah, it, it, so you're getting to put through all that, which is a bit of a struggle. And then um, it's a, like a really long film, 
Um, and is the payoff worth it? <laughs> I don't know. It was it was quite a journey through that film. I, I thought, do I just turn it off? But I saw it through. And um, I, I guess I'm in now, so you know, I'll just I'll keep watching till Avatar Five is done. <laughs> Whenever that may be. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Have you, have you got any interest in the Avatar films? No. Uh, to be honest, no. No. But that's kind of all I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, me and my wife have been watching Young Sheldon, which is a spin-off of The Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. Um, not too bad. The episode's already twenty minutes long, but we've been watching that on Netflix. Is that is that still ongoing? As yeah, I think it's just a... been it's just been renewed for a seventh season. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, earlier this week, my wife was doing like a quiz on me. Of Doctor Who quotes, and uh, and and I had to uh, came to say which Doctor said the quote. I mean, I was doing one better than that. I was saying which Doctor and which episode all the quotes came from. And you know, she's kind of amazed how have I got this kind of memory recall. Um, and I guess this kind of I haven't been that open about it before, but um, how kind of I have a very visual mind, right? And I have. Um, like a memory mansion, which is an actual mansion, mm-hmm. where where I, I keep physical things there and archive them, sort them, and uh, I visualize um, a physical um, order to my memories. Okay. A- and um, she thought that was really bizarre. Um, looked it up, and it's it's kind of a thing. Um, uh, you got any thoughts on that? Um, it's it's interesting. It's fascinating. I mean, uh, I, I think uh, I haven't got that. I think I've just got this jumble of memories. I, I mean, I've got a good memory. I, um, I I can recall things quite clearly going way back. But then this part is just going. Why am I why am I remembering this? This yeah. this memory is useless. Um, but no, I I have heard that before, and that is that is really interesting. Yeah. Um, but I did, I, I, I've never. Yeah. I've never came across anyone in real life, apart from yourself now, which I'm just finding out, who have spoken. You know, I've come across it in fi- like I think Sherlock Holmes basically describes his memory working along those sort of lines, and I think um, mm-hmm. I think the Doctor does in one of the new adventures. But oh, so, right, yeah. Um, so I, I kind of think I've archived stuff, and if I need if I need to recall something, it might take me a bit of time, and I'll be sorting through. Um, things and kind of getting that and I'll, I'll get it so it, it it's just my little method but um i've been doing it since i was really young mm. and uh, and i never thought that was any any different to how other people think but yeah maybe not yeah you're a wonderful unique person rob <laughs> no i think uh, that's that's actually really interesting yeah. um conversations i have trouble with because i remember them most conversations I'll remember them with DL and for a long time so I tend to avoid conversations with people in general because if (laughs) if it's a rubbish conversation I'll not have it and if I think it's worth having uh I'll have the entire conversation in my head and come up with the most likely outcomes from that person and then I'll decide if that conversation is worthwhile and I'll probably say no (laughs) (laughs) right okay well actually to maybe that's sensible that's that's just a good use of your time I guess so. No, or a big the, waste of my time mentally, possibly. 
Well, no, I mean, hopefully you've avoided a lot of meaningless, uh, pointless conversations. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, if anyone else out there has got a memory mansion, do get in touch. I'm just just curious. Have you got any? Have you got any of those quotes that uh, she was asking you? Uh, no, I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, I don't know. She had something up on her phone. All oh, right. Okay. But if you want to do a quote game, I can get a book maybe next week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've got yeah, a book we'll of that. Doctor Who quotes. Um, I'll make a note of that. <laughs> I'm writing it down. I'll not make a note mentally. <laughs> Does this completely contradict what you've just been talking about? Uh, No, I'm just... Yeah. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Um, So, might we have a little bit of Doctor Who news uh, relating to the 60th or beyond we can talk about after the credits? Uh, Yes, yeah, yeah, we can do. We'll we'll, we'll do that later. Mm -hmm. Yep. Anyway, back over to you, sorry. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Uh, So, yes... um... Oh, Rob, it felt so good watching Doctor Who. Actually, like a te- actually watching it on television. It felt oh, like yeah. it felt like eons since we've done that. Because um, the last one was the, the Dark's Master Plan. There were some episodes of that we can watch, but mostly it's missing. Yeah. And then you know it's been a lot of big finishes. Just recently. the audio. Mine were all set in a mansion. <laughs> <laughs> Funny that. Um, so actually, finally sitting down, television. Watching Doctor Who, oh, it just, it felt so good. It felt ages since I've done it. So, yeah, anyway. So, what we're talking about is Warrior's Gate, which is the final story in what is called the E-Space Trilogy. But because of Big Finish, it's more Trilogy. Saga. Yeah, the E-Space Saga. So, the plot synopsis, which I am nicking or poloining from Doctor Who the Handbook, the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker years, which was probably sometime in the 90s, um, Travelling through e-space, the TARDIS is hijacked by Birok, a Tharrell who phases into the ship and operates the controls. He directs it to a white void at the centre of the timelines. Birok is the formerly imprisoned navigator of a ship, the privateer, carrying many of his Tharrell brothers into slavery as a time-sensitive navigator. He has brought the ship to the void to try to rescue his race. The Doctor follows the image of Birok through the void to a strange stone gateway, wherein a dusty and deserted banqueting hall is still laid for a meal. Birok disappears into a mirror as the Doctor watches and time begins to jump about as the Doctor finds himself back in a period when the hall was occupied. Birok explains about his mission to free the Tharals, but then their meal is interrupted by Gundan robots, creations of the Tharals' humanoid slaves who in turn enslave the Tharals. The Tharals have realised the error of their formerly dictatorial ways and are now intent on escaping to continue their lives in peace. Rovik, the insane commander of the slave ship, tries to break out of the void by back-blasting the gateway with his engines. Instead, the mirrors reflect the blast back and the ship is destroyed, freeing the Tharals. Romana and K-9 elect to stay with the Tharals to help them free the remainder of their people from slavery and the TARDIS is flung back into endspace. Um, so the cast and crew, uh, Tom Baker plays the Doctor, Lala Ward-Romana, John Leeson K-9, Matthew Wardhouse-Adrick, Clifford Rose plays Rovick, Kenneth Cope, Packard, David Kincaid, Lane, Freddie Earl, Aldo, Harry Waters, Royce, David Weston, Birock, and Vincent Pickering plays Sargon. 
It was directed by Paul Joyce, and there were uncredited uh, parts of the story, directed by Graham Harper. Yeah. The story was written by Steve, Stephen Gallagher, and it was produced by John Nathan Turner. Um, Rob, actually, you talking about memory before is uh, actually, I suppose, quite a bit of a link. Um, you and I have known each other for years, going way back to nursery, primary school and secondary school. And in our first year in secondary school, we we shared uh, we were in the same class for science. Do you remember Mr. Hodges? Oh yes, yeah. So he was our science teacher. And one day, um, I think uh, I think it was one of our double science lessons. Um, oh I yeah, got double sent, science. Yeah, we got sent to the. Well, I got sent to the back of the uh, back of the class uh, oh, for talking okay. too much. Um, but. Uh, later on, I think it was the second half, uh, he showed us a video. Um, uh, so I was sitting at the very back of the class and we were all watching this video. And what the video was, was uh, it was an old um, children's show, educational, talking about um, physics and science in relation to um, special effects. So special effects and the science of, of creating those. And oh, his name eludes me at the moment. It was the guy who did a lot of the special effects work on Doctor Who at this time. Do you remember his name? No, sorry. <laughs> oh, it's... Anyway, um, uh, it's bugging me because I still bloody know it. But anyway, he was doing this, uh, this thing where he was explaining the physics of how he created a the special effects. And it was the special effects on Doctor Who. Do you remember this at all? Not at all, no. All oh, right, okay. Well, it's weird because I've always thought that this would have been a special feature on like the Warriors Gate DVD or Blu-ray, but it's not. And I'm wondering if anyone actually knows that this thing exists. But it was done in the early 80s. And I'm sitting at the back of the class and they show a clip and I just shout out, Warriors Gate! And everyone turns and looks at me going, what the hell is Liam talking about? Turned to watch the video and then the guy's saying, right, so um, I'm going to show you how we created the special effects for this Doctor Who story, A Warrior's Gate. And then everyone turns and looks at me going, how the hell did you know that, you weirdo? <laughs> Random memory, but there you are. I always remember that. But yeah, I've for years I've tried to f- see if there's like if it's on YouTube or anything. No, oh, it's, right. yeah, it's not. It, it wasn't me calling you a weirdo, was it? No, no, no. I mean, no, it, no one actually said it. It was just, You weirdo. Yeah, people were just looking at me just going, what? randomly shouting warrior's gate what's he talking about how did he know it was a doctor (laughs) who story called warrior's gate this is a bit weird but anyway it's a memory i always remember um matt irvin that was it uh the guy who does the special effects yeah it was matt irvin talking about it on this on this ancient video and yeah anyway uh always remember that oh well it's lost in time now yeah lost in the mist of time it's stored in my (laughs) it's locked in my memory a bit but anyway yeah do you think it was like a just an educational video that like we can never find anymore like how um a random episode of only fools and horse turned up because it was a promotional only episode for like oil rigs oh i've not heard of that what is that yeah it was it was just about five years ago or so um yeah brand new episode of only fools and horses turned up ah right no no, i missed that one but yeah i think yeah i think it was like this educational program from the early 80s um as a means of educating kids about like the, the physics and science and what and how they had to um 
how they create you know how they created uh, it, it was focusing on the explosion at the end at the very end of the story and how they created that and um I just remember, the, just think of this as really cool, because obviously being a massive Doctor Who fan, I'd watched the story before. It was just like, great, I'm in a science class and <laughs> just watching something on Doctor Who. But um, I mustn't have been much of a fan at the time. I've got no memory. <laughs> had you, so anyway, I mean, had you had you seen Warrior's Gate before? I wouldn't have at the time, no. Uh, obviously, I, I'd seen... Um, I, you know what? I'd probably seen a lot of season eighteen from VHS, but maybe not Warriors Gate. I definitely seen like it, the preceding stories and mm. the ones after it. Yeah, definitely the Legopolis, Cash Revolver, yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. like that, and the Keeper Tracking. But yeah, that one kind of eluded me, probably. Uh, and in terms of this podcast, had you seen it before? Was this the first time? Uh, yes, I, I'd seen it once before. Oh, uh, okay. At the time, at the time, I thought that's one time too many. Oh, did you, you really didn't like it? I was wasn't a fan the first time. No, I couldn't couldn't make sense of it. Okay, and and now, yeah, pretty much. Um, well, I guess I'll save a lot from my conclusion at the end. Okay, but um, yeah, I enjoyed it, but not as much as I'd hoped. Mm, okay, yeah, it's 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 a bit of a, a funny story this one because it's I think a lot of people tend to find it quite complicated and yeah it's it's one of those where in order for the all the pieces to fall together i do think you need to i mean all the information's there yeah but it's you do have to sort of piece it together um but that's yeah and you've got to want to piece it together as well it's it's like i just wanted i I just wanted a a light bit of entertainment (laughs) from from a fourth doctor story yeah, no, 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 I get that. I think I think this is going to be like one of those stories where either you know you you, you like it or not. I think it's probably like a Marmite Doctor Who story. I can't I can't mm. imagine anyone thinking yeah it's okay, um, because it's it's very for one thing it's very stylistic in terms of the imagery and the direction of it. Um, so it's unusual in that sense. Yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't sure if the direction was good or bad initially, um, and trying to understand why some of the characters act the way they do um yeah well the direction's an interesting one with this story it was mostly directed by paul joyce um and when this story was first released on dvd the the one of the special features and it's also on the the, the blu-rays as well but when it was originally released on dvd uh paul joyce is, is being interviewed and it, g- it gained an awful lot of attention and the restoration team got an awful lot of emails and fo- following that. And a lot of people wanted to ask Paul Joyce a lot more questions. So the, the restoration team actually arranged something on their forum, on the website, um, to ask him more questions. Uh, sadly, I don't think it's available anymore. I don't think it's online. But it was interesting. It, it, when the DVD came out and what Paul Joyce was saying about the direction, it did get a lot of interest. What happened was he was bringing in a lot of filmic techniques into it. So how the... I mean, what do you think about the opening... How, how episode one opens? Um, how oh. does the first episode open? So it's it, it, it's all, it, it's establishing the, the privateer ship and you're going... You know, we, we start off in oh, the yes. room where all the Tharols are and then we... Uh, yes, I remember, yeah. Coming out, um, going down the corridor and... I guess... 
there's not um, much of an explanation initially to what's happening. Mm-hmm. Who are these people? Who's that lion man? You know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think but, it, it. I mean, what, for me, I think it establishes a tone and a mood. Yes. Um, and but, I wasn't. I wasn't sure about how these characters were being developed and the dialogue and the way it was was, was presented. Like, um, like what? Maybe there's layers to this story that I'm just not seeing. But, um, what was the whole message here with with, with these people with regards to the story? Yeah, it's a good one. I don't think it necessarily has a message. I just think it's like a. I just think it's a strong science fiction idea um, told in the way that it is. And when I say strong, I, I just mean, I think this is hard science fiction. What's interesting is that when Lala Ward felt a little bit, from, from what I can gather from, from interviews that she's done, Lala Ward says that, you know, um, what she thought was a fun children's show, primarily, um, with, you know, her first season, which was only the season before, and then coming into this season, it, it she felt like it was very different. It felt like it was suddenly being aimed at a much older audience. And yeah, I think there's a lot of stylistic differences in there, and the way that the science fiction is told in season 18 is very different to the previous season. And I think Warriors Gate is a very good example of that. Um, Warriors Gate is a story that wholly belongs in this season. I, you know, it doesn't. Be, you know, you, you, I couldn't imagine it in season twenty, Peter Davison's first season. I couldn't imagine it when um, Graham Williams was producing it. it. You know, it's very much locked into uh, Tom Baker's final season in the the style and the story and and how it's told. I don't think there's. I mean, you could go. Maybe there's a. Maybe it's trying to explore the themes of of slavery, and um, a little bit. I'm. Um, because we're introduced to the Tharrells through the character of Birok, and he's clearly the good guy. But actually, what happens is we t- it transpires later on in the story that previously the Tharrells were the enslavers, and then the and then the tables have turned, and now they are the ones in enslaved. But they have they have learnt the errors, and they now wish to free themselves, and they're not going to um, wish to enslave any others. But may maybe to say that that is actually like a like a theme like a theme. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe is that's that meant statement. to be like analogous of something in human history. Possibly, but I mean, in general, I don't think it's like specific specifically. I think it's just looking at enslavement in general. Yeah, and maybe um, the idea of being of liberating yourself and then, mm. be, but then becoming the oppressors. Yeah, I mean, there's there's an interesting line later on in the story when um, when the Doctor is witnessing how the Tharals used to be. Uh, I, I mean, there's some great lines of dialogue in there when um, when the Tharals, you know, when Birok is saying that you know that the universe is the garden and they owned everything. And there's a there's a serving wench type character who gets slapped by one of the Tharals. Oh, she really gets slapped. Yeah, yeah, like, she does. I mean, it's a strong, powerful scene, and it goes, you know, and I, but I love the lines because it backs it up. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's generally, it, it doesn't brush anything under the carpet. It just goes, we own everything. Doctor says, including her, and Barak says, they're only people. 
Um, and then the doctor talks, you know, and then there's a the whole thing about, you know, where Birox says the weak enslave themselves. But this is counteracted by uh, later on um, with a conversation with um, Rovic, who's the captain of the privateer ship. And he, he's telling the doctor that, you know, he negotiates from a position of strength. And it's, it's like, and the doctor goes, is the best way if you can manage it. And I, I feel like there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a contrast between the characters of Rovik and Birok. And there's something being said between those two lines of dialogue. Um, there's also the f- philosophical ideas, you know, going on into the I Ching, which gets mentioned an awful lot during the episode, but, uh, in the story, particularly in the first episode. But there is this theme that, that runs through the story of doing nothing. That sometimes you don't have to be constantly active. That events, you know, you being there, events are themselves. And let the natural flow of time um, uh, get to where you need to be. And Rovik is the like a complete contradiction of that. Because he's, he's constantly talking about, you know, people have to constantly be involved and constantly doing things. Let's try something for a change. And Barok's just saying, do nothing. So I feel like there's like there's some yeah. philosophical themes running through the story, mm. and they're also like um, it's with the humanoid characters that they're saying like we yeah this is a democracy, but mm-hmm. then it's they're kind of not yeah. acting that so way. So I think I think thematically the story is mm. quite rich. I mean maybe where the the problem lies with it for for some people is that it doesn't actually nail its color to them. It doesn't like stick with one of these themes and let's like explore it thoroughly it's just they're sort of maybe a bit nebulous floating around and we're just telling this really what the story is is is, is an interesting means of getting the doctor out of e-space but in an interesting um mm. in an interesting narrative directed in a sort of like a filmic way i mean what's interesting i mean with the way going back to how the the story first begins with those long tracking shots in the spacecraft of the privateer going back to the leisure hive you know how you remember how that started in the very first episode where you have that very long panning shot of all across brighton beach it's sort of the same thing uh in some respects and yes i I don't think that decision that lovett bickford did as a director in the leisure hive adds anything to the story and it does try your patience you could argue that paul joy's doing the same thing here it's it's the same thing, but actually, I think it 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 is actually useful because it does actually establish the tone and the mood of the story. But but what's interesting, Paul Joyce did get fired from the story, uh, from directing it. Um, he was wanting to bring in a much more filmic approach to directing, which slowed the production down, and he got in for an awful lot of trouble, actually with those opening shots because you know he was shooting up into the gantry but from his point of view just going well it doesn't really matter because it it forms into the design of the spacecraft but that was a apparently that was you're not supposed to do that so he got temporarily fired graham harper uh who was the assistant does i don't know which bits he does but he does direct some elements of the story 
Uh, but Paul Joyce was brought back in and he did finish it. But um, Oh, so it's hard to say what's what, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so effectively, the story has two directors. And it's interesting, Graham Harper would come on to be, you know, one of the most respected directors of Doctor Who. I and mean, he directs The Caves of Androzani, um, Revelation of the Daleks. And he's the only classic Doctor Who director to come in. And he's directed loads of, of, of new Doctor Who as well. Uh, you know, he's very good. So Warrior's Gate is really the first story that he directs. But it's 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 him and Paul Joyce. Yeah. Um, so, with regards to the gateway, which mm. is the way out of eSpace, um, the TARDIS has been drawn to this? Is that what we like to believe? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's... it's the TARDIS has been caught in the, sort of like the, t- the time uh, the timelines and is just drifting through eSpace. Birok comes along and guides the TARDIS and lands in the, the gateway, yeah. Yes. Um... And in the the last fourth Doctor story we did was one called The Quest of the Engineer. Mm. And I think that's the one that had these elusive gateways opening in space. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that has any relation to this gateway? Because it, it, it is explained in Warrior's Gate that this is the one and only gateway out of E-Space. Out of E-Space, yeah. Yeah, I think with that big finish audit, I think maybe what they were talking about is, uh, you know, CVEs. Oh, yes, I. Uh, uh, opening up. So I thought that's what they were referring to. Right, okay, yeah. As opposed to like an actual gateway like like in this store. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another thing which complicates it as well. I mean, it's explained in the narrative, but again, it you've got to... I think a lot of this, you do have to go back and watch it because it is, you know, it's, as I say, all the information with regards to, you know, what's happening is there in the dialogue through different characters, but it's not, it, it's quite, um, I suppose, dreamlike, if you like, in the way that it, it's depicted. And a lot of information is comes out of one of my favourite scenes of Doctor Whoever, uh, which is when they're getting the information from the Gundam uh, robot. And he's, you know, he. you're getting all the information that there were these alien species who were, um, who enslaved people and the Gundam robots were um, made to, to, were the only ones able to, to pass through this gateway to, to fight the enslavers. And then you then later get told that that was who you thought were the good guys and so on. But it's that whole scene where the, the Gundam robot is talking about that there are three physical gateways, but the gateways are one. Um, the mirrors, the whole of this domain, and that build the the banqueting hall, the the gateway there. Oh yeah. Um, which is kind of a neat idea, but again, it, it you know it's sort of um, it's explained, but maybe it doesn't. No, but not in a way which actually goes well. Well, how are they connected? You know, you've got three physical gateways, and the three are one. Right, okay. Well, how does that work? So the, there is a little... So even though th- there are some aspects of it, and you can kind of follow the narrative to certain to a certain point, but maybe it's like... A, it, some of it doesn't quite make sense. Like, by the end of the story, you go, okay, right, I understand that this... The, all this is a gateway between... E and N space. It's not a. It's not like a charge vacuum embodiment. Um, 
only time sensitives like Therals are able to transverse completely between N space and E space using this gateway. Um, fine. How does that work? But maybe at the end of the day, you don't really, you don't really need to know. Maybe that's just right. Like, well, that's the basic information that you need. Um, the Tharolds, Birok is helping the Doctor to navigate between these spaces. Um, and at the end of the story, we're back in end space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did were you left with any major questions apart from that? Not really. I mean, it's sort of, it is one of those things where I remember I've always liked this story, but I think, you know, originally it was all to do with, I liked it for this scene and this bit and um, mm. like the, the feel of the story, but not really fully getting what the hell was going on. And as the years have gone on, it's going, oh yeah, okay, yeah, this makes a bit more sense. And I'm able yeah. to follow it a bit more because I'm able, you know, I've watched it. Yeah. And I think that synopsis that I read from the beginning from the, the Doctor Who handbook, I think is a, you know, pretty good summary. Mm. Um, so I think that helps. Yeah, I think after today, maybe I should go and give it another watch. Maybe I don't understand it. But, um, the scene in the banqueting hall with those robot dudes was mm. pretty cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with... Um, very uh, sinister and threatening because they kind of uh, chase after the Doctor with their axes. Yeah. Um, but then ultimately they kind of... Um, the Doctor gets in between two of them and they, they kind of kill each Chop other. Chop each other yeah. dead. Yeah. Um, what else in this story? We have the departure of Romana eventually. Mm-hmm. Was this this was foreshadowed a little bit because um, when Romana is speaking with Adric, I think she she says um, that maybe they might part ways after returning. Yeah. Um, there was also a question of um, the moral dilemma of should they bring Adric out of his own universe? Um, I don't think that question specifically is touched upon again. Um. <laughs> Yeah, and it's interesting. Romana's the one who brings that up. The Doctor doesn't really seem to be that mind. Be like, oh, he just you know, he'll just love it in Gallifrey, and Adric doesn't seem to be doesn't really seem to mind either. He he's happy being in the TARDIS and coming along for the ride. Um, but yeah, I like that because I think a lot of people have have said that you know Romana's departure just seems to be like massively just tagged on to the end. I don't think that. Um, it's actually been sort of hinted at really in the previous few stories because it makes sense that the Time Lords have said that they want Romana back, given how the character was introduced in the Key to Time series, as they're just to help the Doctor for the purposes of the Key to Time. That's been done now. So it made sense. And the fact that Romana clearly doesn't want to go back, it's there in full circle. You know, she's you know, the Doctor and the Romana are having a conversation. She's talking, how can I go back after all this? She doesn't want to go back. It's there in full circle. It's there in State of Decay. Mm. It's here in Warrior's Gate. And yeah, it's it's spelled out m- much more clearly, as you said, Rob, in the first episode where she says to, to Adric, what what if the do- Doctor and I parted ways? So it's really starting to, you know, yeah. come to the fr- f- forefront now. So when we do get to that final scene at the end, uh, I, I mean, I quite like it. It doesn't feel like it's just suddenly, where the hell's this come from? It's been building up over the last few stories. It's been woven into this one. And it is... Romana talking about 
it is Romana taking charge and going, right, I want to leave now. I can, you know, do my own thing. Um, and I, I actually quite like the way that it's written and performed. And Yeah, it's a strange one. It, it kind of lacks emotion. But that's not to say the emotion isn't there because they don't convey it. Yeah, and it's just that nice way of kind of like un- underplaying it a little bit. And to be perfectly honest, it's something that I wish it will never happen. But I kind of wish New Doctor Who would do. Not, you know, not everything has to be like constantly pulling at your heartstrings in order to like convey some sort of meaning. Um, I, I, I do find, you know, it's it's good that New Doctor Who can perhaps be a bit more emotional. But I, I do think they overplay. Yeah, and, and it d- departures were traditionally really swift, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, sometimes to to you know, some like like when Dido uh, from the William Hartnell era leaves. That I think that departure. Yeah. Liz Shaw, oh, she didn't even she didn't even go. She was just gone. Yeah, it was just yeah. Um, let's look at Sarah Jane. That I think that was one where it was done um, emotionally, um, not overdone. Yes, and I think well, actually, I mean, it's there from the very beginning. Look at the the very first person who leaves is Susan. That's a that's a great emotional scene. Oh it's yeah, not, that was a but, that was a personal one though. The Doctor had no need to to hide his true nature from Susan. Yeah. But it's um, there in so the chase get, when Ian and Barbara leave. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, I think that would be another exception. Joe's, but, Joe's but, departure. Yeah, but then again, with Joe, um, the Doctor does play it down a little bit because he's ha- he's happy for her. Well, he wants to he wants to show that he's happy for her, and then he kind of just kind of sneaks out the back door. And yeah, but he's him. also sad that he's leaving. He, but that's he, the thing. He is sad, but he he kind of hides his his emotion and his kind of true nature from a lot of people. Yeah, but that but but what I'm saying is that. But I still think that these things are emotional. Oh yeah, and I, yeah, and I think yeah. what I actually quite like is that they're emotional actually through being understated. And that's one thing that I. It's not just modern Doctor Who. I, I, it, it's modern culture in general. Yeah. I do wish that you know things were a lot more understated. It can be much more powerful. Um, there was just something about Romana's departure in this story when I was watching it, and I was I was considering it in a way that I hadn't before. I just I, just, I kind of yeah, it's just mm. I liked this departure. Yeah, and it really made me smile when when Tom Baker just casually picked up um, K Nine, <laughs> just passed him over. Yeah. yeah, and it's just you know um, the big and just hollow those lines. Prop. I think we yeah. saw it under him at one point. Yeah, we see it a couple of times. Yeah. There's, um, I think it's Packard's character, just picks him up and it's, just, it's clearly <laughs> that's <laughs> just, the, that's the polystyrene version. Yeah, it's just uh, yeah the uh, there are a couple of moments in the story. It's just like, oh, would it be nice had they had they had the means to just can we take that again? So you know you're holding it so you can't actually see that it's a hollowed out prop, but never mind. Yeah. I know it, on occasion it's happened to the Daleks as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, is there any? Th- so, th- are there any like moments that stand out for you the story, or that you that you like, or feel that we haven't covered? Well, when you said it was quite like a, a more, did you say more like a serious science fiction? Um, yeah. Yeah. Visually, I guess we have that whole. Um, kind of inspiration from Alien, I guess, where science fiction is no longer white and clean. It's more dark and gritty and uh, the the humans are more 
more human, I guess. In in it, it. There's another got more of a, um. Yeah, I don't know. Them. I was gonna say more relatable, but these these guys are pretty um. Miserable, aren't they? <laughs> but yeah, stylistically, you... uh, that was good. Mm-hmm. Um. Th- I guess the humours few and far between. Um. Yeah, I mean, if if, if you, it's like what you said at the beginning, if you, if you're wanting to like just sit down and watch and enjoy, you know, just uh, just be thoroughly enjoyed and entertained, um, then Warriors Gate, I don't think is the story for you. Mm. But if you want a story which is you know visually interesting and you know you've got to focus on the narrative, then then I, I think you're going to get something out of this. Yeah, I think um, some bits maybe. Maybe maybe it was presented well, but like if I wasn't fully engaged, it seemed a little bit incoherent, maybe a little non-linear at times, especially when you have the whole banquet and hall scene mm-hmm. where they're jumping back and forward. And that I remember that originally I was a bit confused, um, and I didn't, but I didn't understand, um, mm-hmm. obviously to an extent what was happening. But yeah, um, in relation to the story, um, it was a bit jarring. I think that's the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. Um, and the story serves a purpose. It's it's the end of the eSpace stuff. Um, yeah. Um, what what references would we have to Ramona going forward? Uh, um, I guess saying good goodbye to Ramona at the gateway would be referenced in Castrovalva. Oh yes. Uh, yeah. Beyond be, beyond that. Um, would we hear, hear of her again? I think they may be a reference in Arc of Infinity. Okay. Uh, I know that Leela gets mentioned in that. Um, Romana may do as well. Um, oh, no, yes. Yeah. Romana does get uh, mentioned in Arc of Infinity. Um, uh, he actually says to the president, Romana decided to stay in E-Space. So, yeah, she gets mentioned in Arc of Infinity, but after that, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Right, I guess just over the big finish, then she's she's all yes, present. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, do you think she overstayed her welcome in the show as a as a character, as like an intellectual equal to the Doctor? Um, it's not something that, re- that really bothered me. Um, I think it's a good mm-hmm. dynamic. Um, there was a big finish story. Um, collision course was that the one? No. There was a story in one of the big Finnish collections that we listened to where the the fourth Doctor visited a planet twice, one with Leela, one with Romana, and he had different kind of ways he um, interacted with them. Oh, I vaguely remember with, that now, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, with, when he was with Leela, he was... Um, using some kind of gadget to kind of take readings of the forest. But in this alternative scenario, he went there with Ramona. She's doing that and he's saying, oh, that's nonsense. And he's he's using more of his his senses to take it on board. So there was um, the contrast between how he interacts with a more intellectual um, counterpart and maybe a not so much one. It was Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Um, well, to go back to the question, no, I don't think she overstayed her welcome. I mean, I think, I mean, we have a Romana for three seasons. 
um, first by Mary Tam, who, with all due respect to Talala Ward, who I do really like, um, I do prefer Mary Tam in the role um, in the Key to Time season, but that's one of my favourite periods of the show. I really like that season. Um, mm. And then she leaves and then Lala Ward steps in um, for season 17 and season 18. And I just think, yeah, I think it works. I don't think she overstays her welcome. And I, th- I think it's it's one of those occasions where how long she stays in the show is just perfectly timed. She doesn't leave too soon. She doesn't leave too late. Um, you know, I, yeah, I guess it doesn't coincide with the doctor's departure. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, and I, I know that you know John Nathan Turner said that one thing that he did want when he became producer, he did he definitely wanted to shake the TARDIS crew up in how it was formatted because he did think it was a bit too neat and a bit too clever with you know Romana and especially K nine. Um, oh God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the three of them. And I think he had a point. I mean, I love those three characters, you know, and I really like K9, but at the same time, it's sort of. I think perhaps maybe K9 overstayed his welcome. I think. Not massively, though. I mean, not yeah. to the point where I, I think, you know, because I, I like the character of K9. Um, but, um, you know, when you look at these televised season 18 stories, they're really struggling to know what to do with them. I mean, I know at this point they definitely wanted yeah. to, to write him out of the show, but I think they're really, you know, the, he's he's not really involved an awful lot. No. And I feel like it's a shame that we never got him back in a decent capacity because, like, we could have had stories where, where um, you know, he's already an established character. Write some good character drama with mm. K-9, but I don't, I don't think he was really utilised that, mm. that way. The times we've seen him since in the new era. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. But yeah, w- would you like K9 back um, as a semi-regular companion? Someone who's just like lurking around? Mm, no. Um, no. As I said, I love the character, but very much of, of you know the, the period. I think as a cameo. Uh, but, you know, a worthwhile one. You know, actually write him properly into the story, then yeah, I would welcome that. But I think yeah. to have him... Uh, as an ongoing character, I, th- I think it would be it would feel like it would be harking too much to the past. Personally, I don't know. What do you think? Um, it, well, yeah, it, it would ma- it would mainly, I guess, be um, for the nostalgia rather than a practical character. Um, but science fiction sometimes it does, mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't. Um, do good stories with artificial intelligence. With Star Wars. Um, that's uh, that's this big sandbox with this great opportunity to do some good stories with um, artificial intelligence. Um, mm-hmm. th- I don't think the films have have touched upon that enough. Um, there's been little glimmers of that in some of the TV shows, but um, yeah, I don't think Star Wars is going to utilize that well. Um, mm-hmm. I guess Star Trek has when you look at. Um, data i guess he's been a, a big topic of um these discussions over the decades since um with regards to science and, and philosophy um we're like about artificial life um but i guess that's more relevant now could we bring in k9 and do something um about ai 
I know. That's yeah, that's a thought. I mean, you, you could do. It's interesting. There was a couple of stories. I think the the Armageddon factor in particular, where um, you know, K nine develops a relationship with another computer. Um. But even then, that even something is is relatively basic as that wasn't really fully developed or utilized. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's a good point. Uh, maybe you could, and and you do that in a fun way. Mm. You know, um, funny. You know, maybe not be so heavy-handed and downbeat about it, which uh, which canine would be a perfect. Um, way of exploring that idea if, if you wanted to do it in that particular style but but i still have a i still have the the issue of going it, it's it's too much talking to the past yeah i guess so um i guess that's something the show can't avoid though <laughs> yeah yeah true so um does that kind of wrap the story up <laughs> um uh, yeah, I think uh, I think so. So uh, go, going from here, we have um, the Doctor and Adric mm-hmm. um, returning to end space. Yeah, um, and the Doctor would only have two more serials left. Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm. So in terms of this, uh, the following story would be Keepers of Traken. We do have another big Finnish story which slots in between Traken and Logopolis, which is called Watchers. Uh, written by Matthew Waterhouse, so we will we will be reviewing that as well. But in terms of yes, in terms of the televised stories, it's the Keeper of Traken and Logopolis. Right, Rob. So in terms of your rankings, how how do you it's, rank this story? This is both hard and simple. Um, hmm. Hard because I, I I think maybe I'm being a bit unfair, but you know I'm just gonna be honest. Um, I would rate this poor from my perspective because. Um, it just didn't quite gel with me. But um, yeah, there's a few interesting bits and it's an, it's an integral mm-hmm. part to the season as well. Um, mm-hmm. I guess in, in some respects, I can see that it it does belong in season 18 and we couldn't do, couldn't do with, without it. Um, but unfortunately, it, it wasn't quite for me. No, no, that's fine. I think that that goes into yeah. I can I can see why it's because uh, as like I said before, it's like a Marmite story, and I can see that. For me, I like it, so I would rate it rate it good. Um, I like it for the story and how Stephen Gallagher wrote it. I like the fact that it rewards with repeated listening in terms of like piecing the uh, story together. Uh, I like the direction. I love the music and the sound design of it as well. Um, and it also has some of my all-time favourite scenes in Doctor Who. So those moments I was talking about with the, the Gundam robot. But I also like that, that whole scene between Birok and the Doctor were in the banqueting hall and they're having that conversation about enslavement and the fact that they own everything. And and then the Gundams come crashing in. I like that scene um, an awful lot. So, yeah, I, I, I like Warrior's Gate. So it's, So it's a good for me. Anyway, that's enough on Warrior's Gate. Over to you, Rob. What's happening for our next part? Uh, yes, um, sorry. Not wishing to... T- sorry. Just so that we don't forget, Rob. Um, we will be having a, a conversation after the credits with regards to the 60th anniversary stuff. Um, 
so if you don't want spoilers um then when it comes to the credits stop listening but if you want a continuous uh happy to continue hearing us rubbing on stick around yeah so don't go anywhere so um next time on cloisterbell podcast in anticipation of david tennant and catherine catherine tate's return to doctor who our lovely patrons um they were prov- provided with a poll to choose um a story from series four so um one which we will discuss next week and as a bit of a precursor to the 60th i thought we could do some dr donna stuff mm-hmm. um so they voted and that story will be midnight um this story i watched it back when was that 20, 2008 Yes, um, I have to be honest. I have never seen it since. Oh, have you not? Okay. No, I I remember not thinking much of it, but in the years since, it's interesting that people have spoke quite highly of it. Um, but yet, yeah, we'll talk more about that next week. Mm-hmm. You can send us your feedback on that, and um, you can email us at feedback at cloisterbellpodcast dot com. At the time this goes out, I'm probably only giving you two days to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but in general, you know, you can always send us your feedback or your crazy questions and Liam will answer them. Um, but yeah, goodbye from us and don't go anywhere. Um, if you are going now, you could leave us a review on our website, Podjays or Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like more, you can access bonus episodes on Patreon. And Liam, there's a new feature on on patreon is there um which which is a seven day free trial oh nice so yeah it costs nothing for seven days then you can just cancel or not so stick around we'll see you in a moment Communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh no. Welcome back, people. Um, right, so. 60th anniversary garbage talk. Over to you, Rob. Alright, so. 60th. Um, nope, I got nothing. Any news out there for the 60th that you've heard? Well, nothing. Well, there's some rumours going around at the moment that some missing episodes of Doctor Who have been found. Oh, come on. Yeah, I know. Um, um, my first reaction was just like, yeah, dubious. I'm calling bullshit on the story. But yeah, it's gaining a lot of traction. There was a Doctor Who convention fairly recently. I think it was Utopia. Um, maybe a month back or something like that. And it apparently there was some talk at this convention that seemed to suggest that some missing episodes had been found. Uh, and since then, the story's been picked up a little bit more. And it's been reported, I think, even in uh, some mainstream media stuff. But um, So obviously it's got some Doctor Who fans excited, which I can get. But you and I, Rob, and I think countless other Doctor Who fans have been through this far too many times. Uh, and yeah, just talk... Just, calling bs on this story don't buy it yeah think it's absolute 
crap. Yeah. Don't get yourself disappointed. Yeah. I mean, if it turns out that I'm wrong, fantastic. Great. Be lovely. But, nah. That ain't happening. That ain't ain't happening. Um, I mean, just in general, Rob, I think we've probably asked each other this question a few times, but, I mean, do you think it's likely at this point for any missing episodes to be to be recovered it's possible um i'd say it's it's likely some exist mm. um what do you think is more likely some of the trout ones yes i think i mean the, there is the possibility that there might be one or two episodes uh in private collector's hands but um I bet Mark knows who they are. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, and if there are to be any recovered, <laughs> I think uh, yeah, I think it probably will likely be um, Patrick Troughton stories as opposed to Hartnell. Yeah. Uh, what What do you think of the? What's your ethical stance on fans hoarding and not revealing missing episodes? Um, I think I, I would call it dickish. <laughs> Uh, Those bastards. Yeah. Well, 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 maybe. Um, I mean, it, I mean, there is that thing of going right. Okay, it's it's you know your own money. You purchase something. It's up to you what you do with it. Whether you want to release it or not, that's fine. That's up to you. So yeah, I can I can kind of see that. Fair enough. But at the same time, it'd be like you've got you've got this thing. Um, why hoard it? Why not share yeah. it and let other people watch it and appreciate it? And yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not the kind of person that tells people what what defines a fan or a good person, <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't seem it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like they're being a good fan if they're doing that. Hmm. I mean, my person like know. if somehow somehow I manage to get into my hands uh, a missing episode of Doctor Who. Just say for argument's sake that somehow happened. Okay. My my reaction would be obviously wow, fantastic. My but my immediate thing is go. I would want to share it. Yeah, you'd also want the credit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd want the credit. Yeah, there's that as well. Just going well. <laughs> it's because of me. You know, it's up yeah. to a certain point. But w- would you be like negotiating with the BBC? Well, hang on. <laughs> you can have this, but <laughs> make me an offer. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the cost of how much it, you know, cover the cost of me buying it. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, buy me a sandwich from Marks and Spencer's and wait. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I mean, to be honest, there would be a part of me that were going, well, I would like to watch it first. Yeah, I th- you know, since I've bought it. I, oh yeah, yeah I, would, I would want to watch it. Uh, watch it, make a digital transfer. You know what? Maybe be dickish for a month or so <laughs> and have some private parties. <laughs> Yeah, but there, there is a thing of just going, you know, you, you just just enjoy it on on your own with it, you know, and going yeah. like I, I'm enjoying that moment because there, there is a, when they discovered the um, the lion, which is the very first episode of the Crusade, I think back in yeah. the late nineties, because I think that was discovered in Australia, and I came across uh, where they were actually talking about it because it was it, it, it this was a guy who had it in his private collection, but he didn't know it was a missing episode. Um, it was just these two fans had found out that he had it and they knew it was a missing episode and they went to watch it and they talk about there was that there was that excitement of having discovered a missing episode and there was that excitement of like watching it for the f- like the first time since it had been initially broadcast 
and I can kind of get that and I, would, I kind of want to experience that and then after a while Rob like after a couple of weeks or whatever I, I'd tell you invite you around and you can watch it and then you wouldn't tell me straight away I probably would actually in all fairness but uh and, and yeah and then and then release it out into the yeah. in, in, into the world and yeah oh you know what we could do what? we could release it exclusively through the podcast youtube <gasps> little snippet we could we can have like a big announcement yes yeah, look what we found well actually yeah i mean that it would be very good publicity for the podcast we'd be fools not to yeah, yeah you're right screw morality and <laughs> ethics just so anyway, yeah, this all start from the story, which I think is just absolute nonsense. I don't think any episodes have been rediscovered, uh, sadly. <laughs> anyway, um, so there's that. I don't think there's not any other. I think there's like been like few casting news of like other people being announced, but um, that's right. Yeah, some f- some for the actual series next year, mm-hmm. which I've made note of. Yeah, uh, but yeah, nothing specifically for the sixtieth. I don't think. But talking about that casting, we've got. Melby, not the Spice Girl. Oh crap! How how on earth did I forget about that? Yes, Melanie Bush is coming back to the show. Bonnie Langford. Yeah. See that? Oh, sorry. There was an alarm. I wasn't sure if it was on my end or yours. All right. Can you hear it? Nope. It's a car alarm. Somewhere. Never mind. But yeah, she's back. I mean, she's just she's just been back in the power of the Doctor. Oh yeah, I forgot she was in that. <laughs> <laughs> Along with everybody else. Uh yeah. yeah. <laughs> um I don't know if she's back for a one off or a bit longer. But she did say I'm absolutely thrilled to be bringing Mel- Melanie Bush back to be part of that exceptional cast, crew and production team led by the force of nature that is Russell T Davies. Mm. Um it's a career highlight. I'm so privileged and proud to have been a member of the Doctor Who family since the classic era and to be included in the new generation is phenomenal. And Russell said, open those TARDIS doors wide because Bonnie's back. What an honour, delight and hoot to welcome back the character of Melanie. After too long away, sorry. Um, And this isn't just a cameo. Bonnie is back in the thick of the action battling monsters and chaos and cliffhangers right at the Doctor's side, just like the old days. Oh, that's nice. Do you think that means she's in for like a two-parter, if he's mentioned in cliffhangers? Oh, yes, I didn't pick up on that. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, I'm actually pleased that she's come back. I've, I mean, I know that for, for some fans, um, she's like the worst companion ever. Um, I, I guess that certain aspects of that, it, that's... I wasn't going to say it's a legitimate thing to say, but it's it it you know I guess it's warranted for some things, but um, that's not necessarily my opinion. Yeah, I mean I think but, if I was to have a criticism of the character, it's got nothing to do with Bonnie Langford playing the part. She played it really well, and actually I like Mel. Um, the only criticism I have is how she's written in Paradise Towers, which is actually I love that story, but. The fact that she's getting like, I mean, I like swimming, but you know, she gets ridiculously excited over visiting a bloody swimming pool. It, um, I just think it takes something away from the character and things a bit ridiculous. But other than that, you know, I've always, you know, liked the character. Yeah. She's been redeemed a lot in audio. Mm. Um, what I'd like to do soon is 
visit her first story from Big Finish. It's called The Fires of Vulcan, which is set in the final day of Pompeii. But I thought we could do it um, a week preceding doing The Fires of Pompeii, the tenant of the story. So we could like compare and contrast and do a bit of head cannon juggling. How do we unify these two stories? <laughs> we don't. We just enjoy them. Um, but then, yeah, maybe maybe the part of the fun is trying to like juggle all that and make it fit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that's in terms of like sort of like big announcements. I know that uh, a lot of people are surprised that we haven't had an announcement of when the next blu-ray box set is coming out and indeed which one it is um Mm. yeah there's been quite a delay on that so um speculation is that it's season 20 but okay mm, but there's been no confirmation for a while so people are surprised about that but we'll just have to wait and see Mm. we've already got season 19 on blu-ray yeah uh yes we have yeah yeah interesting Oh, well, we'll have to see. Mm. Oh, well, I guess we'll be back next week with possibly uh, possibly no news, <laughs> but we, we'll see. Maybe we can come up with a bit of a bit of a discussion. Mm. Maybe some theories or rumours. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I guess we'll wrap it up there. Yeah. And we'll see you all next week. Fingers crossed, Liam. Yeah, fingers. Are we going to do the weekly yeah, yeah. for the next, next seven weeks? Let's commit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, okay. See you next week, everyone. Thanks. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye.